Hey, this is Pastor Ali, one of the lead pastors of Bold Church. I wanted to personally thank you for joining us today. If you want to stay up to date with Bold Church, if you want to find out when our next gathering is or how to live stream an event, head over to bold.church. Enjoy the message. Who is excited for church? My apologies. If we have not met, I am very absent-minded. And my name is Ali. And my wife and I, we started this place called Bold Church five years ago with a dream. We wanted to create a place where not only Christians can grow in their faith, but listen, unchurched people, people who are afraid to come. We create this place where you can come explore your faith. Amen? Amen. And uh, before we do some housekeeping before we begin, we have some uh, announcements. Uh, if you want an image of this, text bold events, one word, to 97,000. You'll get an image of this. We are launching groups Today, come on! We have seven groups, and as a church, let me tell you why we're excited, because last week we kicked off a collection of talks called Killer Church. My wife and I read this book last year. It was powerful from Nathan Finocchio. As a church, we are going through this together. Anyone excited for Killer Church? And if, if you sign up for a group, you get one of these free 99. And let me kind of do a shameless plug. Uh, we also have one group that we just do year-round. It's called Rooted. I know the guy He's really good looking. You want to join that group. And it's usually the group that if you've never, like, if, if this is your first time at a church or this is your first time at a, at a new church, maybe bold, like, what do you guys believe? How do I walk out this faith? This is the group you want to go to before going to Killer Church or any other group. It's called Rooted. You don't want to miss it. Now, are you guys ready for Killer Church? We are in a collection of talks called Killer Church. We're going to be in this collection of talks for seven weeks, and the heart behind this collection of talks is the way we're doing church is killing our faith. That when you read the New Testament, that the church is the epicenter of faith and worship. And yet for so many, it is on the peripheral. It is irrelevant. I'm not even talking about Laker fans thinking the church is... I'm talking about Christians. On average, pre-COVID, it was 1.3 times a month. It is even less. Because now I can watch church online. I'm not shaming online church people. I'm just saying that there is opportunities to watch it from your pajamas. But the word of God says, do not neglect the gathering of the saints. And I want to preach a sermon that's going to kind of get in your face. It's not a normal sermon. It's called Killing Christian Buddhism. Because you're mixing the two. It's like Jesus and like essential oils. I got my cross on my neck. I got crystals in my car. I only want to go to church when I'm feeling positive vibes. How many know what I'm talking about? And often we talk about the solution, but it doesn't make sense until you understand the problem fully. And I'm going to go there today. And uh, let me just begin with prayer because this is one of those sermons you're going to need it after today. Uh, so let me pray and let's begin. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you so much for a conference. Thank you so, thank you so much for this building, our second month in our miracle building, Jesus. Come on. We're so grateful. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. We want to leave this room looking more like you, talking more like you, loving more like you. And if you believe that, everybody said, Amen. everybody said, Amen. kind of bold tradition. We get loud before the sermon. Can we just give God a praise? Come on. Last, normally if you've been coming for any amount of time, you know I preach a three-point sermon. That's how I was raised in seminary. That's how I was classically trained by my previous pastor. Last week I did something different. At conference I preached a six-point sermon. I was so happy that you guys didn't walk out. So I'm going to push it. We're going ten today. And if you want the sermon notes, you can ask Dale. I think if you text bold notes to 97,000. You can get them. I'm not sure. If it doesn't work, please text her. Don't text me. But I'm going to jump right in it because there's so much to cover, and I need you to understand where we're going. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, for all, someone say all, all. have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I have a Bible software called Logos Bible software. I paid like $2,500 for it. It gives me a hundred commentaries. Per verse, per book of the Bible, I can read what these guys think, what the Puritans think, what the Reformers think, what the Baptists think. And it also gives me this thing called the linear concordance. It will list every Greek word and then show the English word underneath it. It is so, power, it is so helpful. I looked at that word all in the Greek. Would you be surprised? It's all in the English. 
this isn't something non-believer struggles with. This is something that everyone struggles with. All of us fall short. And sometimes we don't realize this. We talk about Jesus being the solution. We talk about Jesus being the hope. But he, you will not desire him. You will not want him until you first see the problem. The solution won't be attractive until you understand the predicament that we are in. And that word, all have sinned. That word sin is the Greek word harmartia. It literally is it's not a religious term. It's a bow and arrow term. That when I'm trying to shoot the bullseye, when I'm trying to hit the mark, when I miss, it means sin. And when I hit it, that's the bullseye. And, and we even have this in our language. We're not even religious, but we, we say phrases like, nobody's perfect. I'm only human. And so we, we, we realize that we can't live up to the standard that we even create for ourselves. And how much more does God have a perfect standard that we can't live up to? And this is why Jesus came. The, the human project was God's idea. Amen. Anybody grateful that God created us? And he's not abandoning the human project. He's redeeming it. And he didn't just come to die for our sin. Listen, he came to live a certain way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. When you live his way, you're hitting the mark. When you forgive your enemies, you're hitting the mark. When you're keeping your pants on in a relationship before you're married, you're, you're hitting the mark. Come on, when, when you're getting high off the most high, you're hitting the mark. And the more you look like Jesus, the more you're hitting the bullseye. I would call this, there's going to be different phrases, this is the problem of sin. This is something that we all deal with. I'm going to show this next verse. This is the origin of sin. This is the origin of sin. This is James chapter 1, verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted. Let me give you the context of who's writing this. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus. What a tough gig, man. Like, my sisters have a tough gig because they got to follow my footsteps. Imagine following Jesus. Imagine coming home like, oh, my gosh. James, why can't you be like your brother? Oh, mom, he's God. Right? Like, you could do nothing. doesn't matter how good you are. You never measure up to him. And this guy never followed Jesus for three years during Jesus' ministry. In 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus says that he showed, before he went to the apostles, he went to his brother James and showed the holes, and that's when James believed. So there's some of you in this room. We get it. Even Jesus' own family did not believe. And this man did not just become a Christian. He became an apostle. He became a Bible. He, he wrote, God used him to write scripture. And he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. I get asked this question all the time. Pastor Ali, let me, let me understand this. You're saying God's the creator. Yes. You're saying God created everything. Yes. And the question I get asked all the time is, did God create sin? You need to be able to answer that question. See, God created humanity but man authored sin. God's design was for us to hit the, bulls, the bullseye, the mark, but we missed the bullseye. We sin. I remember when I was in youth group, this is like a decade ago, before I became a teaching pastor, I was a youth pastor. Youth pastoring is like herding cats, by the way. If you want a mental image of what that's like, it's like herding cats. And there's, there's this one guy whose name I cannot mention because there are people in this room who know who I'm talking about. And he would call me at like 11.30, 12 at night, Pastor Ali, ah, ah, like moaning. I'm like, what is wrong? He's like, Pastor Ali, God is tempting me. I'm like, how? He's like, I'm in the club. I'm like, wait, wait, you're in the club or the club? He's like, I'm in the club. And there's alcohol everywhere and girls are allergic to clothes. God is tempting me, Pastor Ali. I'm like, bro, God didn't put you in the club. You put yourself in the club. Let me just be honest. We blame God for things we choose. We, we blame God. We blame the devil. God's like, dude, take some personal responsibility. You put yourself there. And that's, that's the predicament, that God created the world, and he gave us this, this concept that is never mentioned in the scriptures in the same way that the Trinity is never mentioned in the scriptures. But we know that God is triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there's this concept of free will, even though that word is never used in the scriptures. And uh, it's this idea that God in Deuteronomy 29 says, I give you the choice of life and death. Choose life. I want to be your God. But do you want, me to, do you want to be my people? Think how humble God is, that he, that he gave you the choice to reject him. It's, it's hard enough, guys, no, to ask a girl out and she says no. Imagine asking a billion people out. 
Imagine the pain, the humility, the, 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 the heartache that God goes through by getting down on one knee saying, I want to be your God, will you be my people? Uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this, he says, because of free will, though it, it makes evil possible, it is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. What is C.S. Lewis saying? God did not hard program us. As awesome as AI is and chat GPT and it, it talks back to you, it is programmed. It, it does not have free will. God didn't program you to love him, to choose him. He gave you the choice. Why? Because God did not make robots. He wanted free will agents to pick and reject. And because of that, you, you need to understand the origin of sin is not in God's heart, but in yours. And it says this. Let me read it again. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. The next verse says this in James chapter 1, verse 15. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And this is, this is a powerful verse because it's showing us something that, that what is happening on the inside is manifesting on the outside. Anybody familiar with the, the story of the Garden of Eve, Adam and Eve and the talking snake? And yeah, yeah, yeah if you're new to church, there, God created this, the garden. He said, go and be fruitful and multiply. But says, he said, don't eat from this tree. And it's actually the only, it's, it's a powerful story because it tells us into the heart of sin. Where does sin originate? Because God created a perfect world in a perfect presence to be with a perfect God. And we jacked it up. And it's actually the only time in scripture where a, a wife knew what she wanted to eat for dinner, by the way. But... <laughs> That's another sermon. Another sermon. You laugh because you know it's true, right? And, and, and the thing I want to show you is that you have to be tempted by something you desire. If you're a vegan, I, I couldn't give you steak. You're like, I don't want that. Ooh, ah, right? Satan tempted Eve with something she wanted. She wanted to be liberated. She wanted to be outside the leadership of God, outside of the leadership of her. She wanted to be the domain of her own cap. She wanted, she said, Jesus, take the wheel. She's like, move over, Jesus. I want to take the wheel. You can only be tempted by the very thing you desire. It first began here. We blame Satan for Eve's fall, but Eve, it was conceived in her heart first. And that's the problem with sin, is that all of us do it, and we blame God. We blame the club, Right? We blame Satan, but God says, no, 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 it originated in you. It's first, the desire, it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. What Eve did on the outside by eating the fruit, it first manifested on the inside of her heart by having the desire. That's the problem of sin. That is the origin of sin. And then I'm going to show you this. This is the root of sin. This is Romans chapter 1. It says, because they exchanged, they being us, this is me and you, the truth about God, that's option A, for a lie, that's option B, and they worshiped. I love Paul is making the distinction that there aren't worshipers and non-worshipers. Everyone worships, whether you're in church or not. It may be the gym, it may be sex, it may be money, it may be, everyone worships. The question is not if you worship. The question is, what do you worship? The question is, what do you worship? And they served creature. Some translations say creation rather than the creator who is blessed and forever. Amen. All of my sin, the root of it is this. Ali Ruiz says this. I would rather have what God creates than what God, who God is. I reject him because I think this thing's going to be better for me than, than what he's offering. And everyone in this room, this is the conversation. God I know you created me, but like, I'm like on a journey, and like, I want to follow my heart. I think I know what I want better than you. No, no, I, I know you gave me these desires, but I know, God, this is the real me. This is like the true me. This is what I want, Lord. And like, we, we live by our feelings, and what we're off, don't realize that the root of every sin, you don't have a porn problem, you don't have an alcohol problem, you don't have a greed problem, you have a rejection of God problem. That's what this is saying, that what God offers isn't enough. You think something else will satisfy you. And there's this constant lie that we believe in our heart, that if I go all in with God, if I, if I go all in with him, I'm going to 
have you who on Friday, I'm going to play like bingo with my kids and I'm only going to have sex in missionary position with my wife. It's going to be boring. I'm going to be poor. It's true. These are, I'm quoting you guys, actually, by the way, before you laugh. Because you think God can't please you when he's the one that invented pleasure. You think, you think if you follow God, that he understands how you tick. He knows what makes you spark. He knows what makes you come alive. And yet you believe the lie. You reject him. Say, no, 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 I know better than you, God. Come on. Imagine for a moment, I, uh, I, I, I was going to, this is my home. I, I wish I had props. I didn't have props. But let's say I invite you to my house for dinner. And you walk into my house and you see a microwave on the ground, right? I have a little cutlery set, and those four little plates, and like there's a little, 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 little cake with some tea. We have some tea and cake, right? And you walk in, you're like, what the hell are you doing, Pastor Allie? Is this for Ratatouille or is this for me? Like, oh my gosh, you're so rude. So, oh my God, this is for us. Like, no, that's a microwave, Pastor Allie. No, 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 this is my, di- I know. This is my, what my heart wants, okay? And that's what we look like when we tell God we know better than what he wants. You know what a microwave is for? A microwave is for heating frozen food so it burns your mouth. That's the only thing it's good for. And yet that's what we look like when we tell God, I know what my life is designed for. I know what's going to bring me pleasure. It's like telling God this is what a microwave is for. And we don't realize that's the root of all of your sin. You don't have a porn problem. You don't have a sin. You, re- you reject God because you don't think he's going to please you. It gets worse. Not only is sin a problem, not only is it something that we all deal with, not only is it the, the origin of sin is in my heart, not only the root of all sin is something that I'm rejecting God, but it's inherited sin. It's inherited. I, I, means, which means I cannot educate myself out of it. Even if I'm the perfect parent, my kids are going to be ratchet no matter what I do. Let me show you what Romans chapter 5 says. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, someone say one man, man. and death through sin, so death spread to all. Someone say all. all. One person made a mistake, and now all of us are guilty. That's not fair. Why am I being blamed for what Adam did? Like, I'm innocent, God. Oh, my God. I can't even right now. And the problem is that sin is not something you do. Sin is who you are. I wrote like this, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. See, sometimes we think sin is just a behavior. No, 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 listen, it is a nature. It is my, it, I am born, this is why the psalm says, I was sinful in my mother's womb. Most religions, most people are like, oh my God, babies are angels, Ah. Oh. Jesus is like, no, those are little demons, okay? We got to redeem that in Jesus' name, right? I, I never taught my kids to, like, bite and talk back. They, they were born that way, right? We, we forget. We, we don't realize that you cannot educate yourself out of sin nature. You cannot, like, like, pray yourself. No matter how long I'm a Christian, there will always be a struggle with what the Spirit of God inside of me wants to do with my old nature, let me give you a picture. If, self, if, self, if sin is two steps back, salvation is one step forward. I'm not back where I was, but I'm not where I used to be. So now there's this tension. I want to follow Jesus, but oh my gosh, the old way looks good. You know what I'm talking about? That, that temptation, will, it will never go away until Jesus gives me a new body. That's inherited sin. Uh, let me kind of illustrate this through my family. I, I'm one of three children. Uh, and this is just my theory. You can, if you email me and get angry, that's okay. I'll, I won't read it. Um, but it, my theory is this, that the firstborn of every family is usually the most jacked up. Right? Parents don't know what they're doing. They're trying their best, right? Thousand pictures. They're yelling. Usually the first kid's like type A because he's always trying to perform for his parents. Then... Then the second one is usually angry and jealous. Why does the first one have a thousand pictures and I have two, Dad? Come on. It's the truth. Then the third one, the parents kind of like, they've gone through two guinea pigs. Now they know what they're doing. And if you look at my family, I'm type A. I'm insulted if you say I'm competitive. I am, not, I am ultra competitive, okay? My second one, my, my sister Saray, 
she's a little angry and jealous, always talking about, mom loves you more. I'm like, I know, it's the gospel, right? <laughs> My third one, Sherry, she was with us for a year this last year. She's the most, like, people are like, are you related to her? She's so nice. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? And that, that's honestly how it was in our home. She never broke the law. She ne- I had the cops come to my house every year for like seven straight years. I broke windows. I set things on fire. I, I literally broke every window on every neighbor's door, like a five-mile radius. When we, today, when we're trying to flex on social media, what do we do? We put toilet paper and eggs. Oh, my gosh, look what I got, right? When I was a kid, our flex, we'd throw them at your house, Right? It was just a different time. I was the black sheep. And yet, how is it that the same parents can produce me and produce my sister? Adam, bro. Adam. Because there are families in here. The firstborn is the angel, and the third one is a demon. How do you know what I'm talking about? It, is, it has nothing to do with birth order. It has nothing to do with you being the perfect parent. You know how I know? Because God was the perfect parent. And the first kids that were born, Cain and Abel, one of them killed the other one. Why? Because they inherited the brokenness from their father, Adam. Now, I'm a dad. I have two little ones, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And the firstborn in my family is the obedient one, Sophia. God bless her heart. She listens. She flosses her teeth, goes to bed. The four-year-old, she's a walking gang member, bro. I'm telling you. <laughs> you ever watch the Flintstones? There's a little one called uh, Bam Bam. We call our four-year-old Chug Chug because that name's taken. No lie, two weeks ago, the six-year-old runs in the house crying, Daddy, Daddy, my tooth fell out. And it was loose. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it came out because we were too afraid to pull it, right? She's like, Zoe did it. And in my mind, I'm like, What? Like, she pulled it out. She's like, no. She got angry, and she punched me in the face. I've, ne- I've never punched my kid. I've wanted to, but I've never actually done it. Where did my four-year-old learn that? Adam. And on a serious note, this is why in World War II, we were pushed back by the atrocity of racism, and we said, if we just educate people, we're the most educated generation, and yet racism still exists. And so they no, 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 that's not the problem. We need CRT, critical race theory. Give it 20 years, and you'll realize it's not going to work. Sin is in too deep. The problem is not the system. The problem is you. You've inherited a brokenness that will never go away. And you will never desire the solution until you understand the depths of the problem. Sin is not something bad people do. Sin is something that we all, it originates here, and the root of it is I don't think God is going to please me. And even when I do my best, even when I create the perfect environment for my kids, I'm passing on my brokenness to them. Because sin is inherited. You cannot educate it away. It's going to get worse. You guys ready? This is, next point is what I call the devastation of sin. The devastation of sin. John chapter 3. I love the gospel of John because the first three gospels are, are what are called the synoptic gospels. They're similar. And 90, most of the, the synoptic gospels, they're very similar. John is 90% unique, which means 90% of what you find in the gospel of John is not found in the other books. In the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus is different. He's got like a lamb on his shoulder, you know, like chilling. He's a loving God. And John, he will cut you, bro. He says things that are like, dude, whoa, are you Jesus? Look what he says. This is Jesus speaking, and this is judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness. Do you know when Jesus is saying this? He's speaking to Christians. My problem, Ali, I'm not even talking about you. If you're new to church, this has nothing to do with you. This is me. I'm a professional Christian. I love darkness. And it's worse than that. It's not that I do bad things. It's that I'm so broken the, the devastation of sin is so big, I take good things and I make them bad things. John Calvin, the, the great theologian, said this, the human heart is an idle factory. That we take something good like the gym and we make it our God. And the way you know you have an idol is if you take it away, does it feel like hell? And when you have it, it feels like heaven. Take, for, for example, something like neutral, like Netflix, 
My wife and I, we love to Netflix. I love the chill afterwards, but we love watching Netflix together. Right? We're Bible people. Come on. And Netflix, my wife loves TV shows. I want some action. I want some blood. So I, I was like, the Spirit of God is moving. She wanted to watch The Last of Us. This HBO series on zombies. I'm a huge zombie fan. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And we're watching these episodes. We're talking. We're interacting. There's nothing. Netflix is awesome. It makes us, my wife and I, closer. But, and I, I got to say this carefully because she's in, is in the room. We will take good things and we will make them God things, bad things. During the holidays, yeah, she's laughing because she knows where I'm going. During the holidays, my wife was a little sick, right? And she discovered the show called Yellowstone. Anybody know what Yellowstone is? Awesome show. I've never watched it. My wife, I don't know how she did it. She watched five seasons in five days. Okay. There was a, th- I'm not even lying. God strike me with lightning if I'm lying. There was a three-day period where she didn't change. She didn't move. I walk in the room. I'm like, is that Gollum? Who is this? She, she was like, you sneaky little hobbits. Go away. How does that happen? How does a pastor take something good? Because that's what we all do. That's how crazy sin is. We take good things and we make them God things. That's how bad sin is. It's not just the bad that we do. We take good things and we make them God things. You can't educate this way. You can't pray this way. That sin nature will always be with me. It's not just commission. It's also omission. Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that anyone who looks at a woman, this is mucho bummer, for, by the way, right? For my non-speaking Spanish people, that's big bummer. <laughs> but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, let's be real. This is talking about IG models that you're following. I lo- I'm going to make some people uncomfortable, and we need to go there. I love when men join our church. The first thing I do when I consider them for leadership, I, I, follow, I see who they follow. I go, nope, nope, because I see, oh, yeah, we're going there, right? Because religious people say, I didn't have sex with her. Jesus says, it's not about what you do. It's what's happening in here. Religion thinks about the outside. Jesus wants the motives, what's on the inside. When you look lustfully, Jesus says, that's how crazy, that's how devastating sin is. It changes your thoughts, it changes your motives. And Jesus says, bro, no one can say that you're without sin. Because even if you've never killed someone, even if you never got drunk, even if you never had sex with someone outside of marriage, you're still nasty. You're still nasty. It has to get a little bit worse before I present the solution. Y'all ready? One more. This, is, this one's called the judgment. This is the judgment of sin. Matthew 12, verse 36. I tell you, on the day of judgment, there is a day of judgment. This church, is, we don't gather just for ourselves to sing kumbaya and karaoke. God saved us, redeemed us, and he didn't take us to heaven for a reason. That means I have a purpose. I have a mission. I got to tell others about this place. I got to tell others about Jesus because judgment day is coming, and I don't want anyone to experience. Look how crazy judgment day is when God deals with sin. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Let me just tell you how crazy that is, okay? Imagine for a moment I'm not a Christian, and I go into heaven. God's like, wow, what, you set what on fire? Oh, my goodness. Then you, you keyed how many cars? You, egg, you gave three people heart disease because you did doorbell dish. They, they, they didn't take their medication that day. They, they, they died early because of you. <laughs> then after we go, all the crazy things I did, then he goes, bring the transcripts. I want to go through everything he said. It's like, OMG, right? You called your sister a poopy head in third grade. Let's go to high school. Oh, I can't even say these words in heaven, right? That's not going to be a fun day. And imagine, if you are not in Christ, that's what it's going to look like. 
the judgment day is not a day of judgment for those who are in Christ. It's a day of reward. Why, Pastor Ali? Because the gospel, the good news of Jesus is that he came and lived a sinless and perfect life. And when, if you're wondering, what about inherited sin with Jesus? That's why he was born of a virgin. Because that nature wasn't past him. He, was, he didn't need to be born again because he was born right the first time. And so many people think, oh yeah, he died on a cross for my sin. It's better than that. It's not just that he dies for my unrighteousness. It's that he gives me his righteousness. The word is imputed righteousness. Let me give you uh, uh, some language. Let's say out of 100, I'm a 50 out of 100 in terms of morality. And Jesus over here is 100 out of 100. I, he give, I give him my 50, so he dies on a cross for my 50. Then he gives me his 100. So when I stand before God, they go, bring up Ali's records, everything he did and said. And they go, oh, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> Even though you and I both know I'm not. Because in Christ, I am accepted not by my performance, but by my position. This is why you got to share your faith. This is the good news. This is why the problem of sin is so much bigger. You can't just like positive vibe this thing away. You need a solution. Any solution that tries to create a better world without dealing with sin is broken. And the only solution that I see is Jesus dying for it and then redeeming it by giving us his righteousness. Amen? Amen. It gets better though. Watch this. Romans 5, 20. This is... The solution to sin. This is the solution to sin. Now, the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded. All the more. This is where it really, really starts to get good. This is where, like, you don't understand. Jesus didn't just come die for my sin. He gives me his righteousness. Now I'm accepted. Now I don't have to be afraid in the presence of God. I can have this paradoxical boldness in the presence of God. But it's even better. Watch what it says. It says... Where sin increased, grace increased. Some translations are where sin abound, grace abounded even more. I wrote down like this, where there is more grace in Jesus Christ than there is sin in you. Man is good at sinning. God's even greater at giving you grace. Come on. I, I can't, I, I remember one of my high school friends when they found out I became a Christian, like, I would never go to church. I said, why? Bro, the roof would fall down on me. And it's this idea that, man, people like me don't go to church. The church was created for people like me and you. Because this is not a problem that non-religious people have. This is a problem that all of us have. We all need forgiveness. We all need redemption. And I love the solution. Where sin increased, notice it doesn't say mercy increased. Let me give you an example of this. Imagine for a moment, I go 65 in a 25. Let's say I'm going 65 in a school zone. It's like super whammy, right? You're going to suspend my license for a year, $10,000 fine. Imagine I'm before the judge, and the judge goes, dude, what, what were you doing? I'm like, my wife texted me kissy face, come home soon, right? Like, I had to go home in Jesus' name. <laughs> Let me tell you what mercy looks like. Mercy's like, the, king, the judge goes, bro, I got you. Go home as if nothing happened. No suspension, no fine, no 200 hours of community service. Just go home. You're forgiven. What God is offering you in Jesus Christ is better than mercy. Let me show you what grace looks like in the courtroom. I go 65 and 25. The judge is like, why are you there? I'm like, kissy face, my wife, you understand. Not only does he cancel the debt, the judge reaches into his pocket and goes, I see here you drive a 2010 Toyota Corolla. Here are the keys to my Ferrari. Drive home faster in Jesus' name. Because you know she's going to get a headache in five minutes. She's going to be tired in ten. Go home right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> the point I'm trying to make is that God empowers you to live for him. He doesn't just forget. It's what I call Ferrari grace. Someone say Ferrari grace. God wants to empower you to do what you couldn't do. It's better than just forgiveness. It's empowerment. Watch this verse. This is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. By the grace of God. It's not by my will. It's not by my might. It's not by my willpower. It's not by my self-discipline. I'm in the house of God. I'm forgiven by the grace of God. 
But the Bible says in Isaiah that my good works are like dirty underwear before God. This is, I don't add anything to the equation. God does all of it. That's why it's unmerited, unearned grace. And says, I am what I am. This is the grace of God is something that doesn't cause, just cause God to cover your sin, to erase your sin, to forget your sin. I wrote down like this, the grace of God causes you to be what you're called to be so that you can do what you're called to do. It's holistic. Imagine for a moment I asked you, how many of you in this room drove to church this morning? Who drove to church? Come on, don't lie. Who drove to church? Okay, all of you are lying. Because you actually didn't drive. You steered. The car drove. The car did all the heavy lifting. The car moved that 2,000-pound vehicle, and all you did, some of you are so lazy. Listen, when you, you, didn't, when you got in the car, you didn't even turn the ignition. You pushed a button. Some of you are so bougie. You didn't even, like, turn your head the way we used to. You look at a rearview mirror, right? And then some of you are so extra when you got on the highway on the way to church, you let go of the steer. You didn't even steer anymore because your Tesla drove you here. What Paul is saying, look what he says. I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Is Paul flexing? No, you know what he's saying? He's saying, I got in God's grace, this Ferrari of grace, and it's not me doing all the hard work. He was doing it through me. Some of you, you're on a tricycle called grace, and you're like pedaling as hard as you can, looking around saying, how are they loving their neighbor? How are they loving their spouse? And you're trying to work harder, try harder. God knows that what you have is not enough to get to where you need to be. That's why he gives you the keys to a Ferrari. I need you to live out your calling. I need you to get to your destination, and you don't have it. Not only am I going to forgive you, but here are the keys to Ferrari grace so that you can live out what I've called you to live. Is there anybody thankful for Jesus this morning? It's, it's better than what you realize. That is the solution. And it ends with this few more verses, and we'll be done. Titus 2, verse 11. If I get the worship team, say it again. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God. Someone say the grace of God. Has appeared bringing salvation to all people. It doesn't just save you. Watch what the grace of God does. Timothy chapter 2, verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. It teaches you how to live. Mercy just forgives you. Grace empowers you to do and live the way you never could on your own strength. It is Ferrari grace. Last verse. 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves. Someone say, clothe yourselves. The reason the apostle Peter is using this language, clothe yourselves, something you have to do every day. Some of you are nasty, you wear the same clothes all week, but still, the point is, (laughs) hopefully you take your clothes off at night, wear your pajamas or wear something, or maybe you sleep in your clothes. It doesn't matter. I don't want to go there. But the point is, You're changing every day, which means you need to ask for the keys of the Ferrari every day. It's not a one-time thing on the day of your salvation or the day you got baptized. You need this grace daily. In the same way you change your clothes daily, you need to clothe yourselves with the grace of God. Because I I can't. I don't know. I don't just need grace to love like evil. I need grace to go to Walmart, bro. Come on. It's crazy out there. I need grace in traffic. I need grace when my six-year-old comes in and holds a tooth and says, my sister punched me in the face and I have thoughts that I, I, I can't even say them. I need grace to love people in my life. I don't have the strength to do it. Give up tricycle grace. Get in the Ferrari and watch what Paul says. All of you with humility. Someone say humility. Toward one another for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble this is probably one of the scariest verses in the Bible that I can live in such a way that God doesn't just ignore me he opposes me you ever go to a basketball court you'll see two people and there'll be one under the hoop and one they have one ball and one dude's shooting he'll catch the ball and throw it back they're doing it together 
If, I was, if God was ignoring me, you would shoot and I'd be like, oh, the ball's on the ground, you pick it up. But that's not what God is doing here. This word oppose is active. It means I'm at the key, the free throw line, and Jesus is right there with his forearm up. He's like, you're not gonna score. I'm opposing you. He's playing defense on you. Bro, I got 99 problems. I don't want Jesus to be one. Because if I live in such a way, I have 100 problems now. It's a scary verse to have God oppose you when he's offering you Ferrari grace. And it gets even better. Verse 6, humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time, he may exalt you. Often we think, oh, I got to humble myself before Jesus. No, the context is with other people. When you humble yourself with other people, you're humbling yourself before God. You can't just have your vertical relationship be restored and your horizontal be broken. Jesus is saying in this context, they're connected. You can't yell at your wife and come sing at church. You can't have unforgiveness in your heart towards your brother on the other aisle because you don't want to sit next to him and then raise your hand and say, God bless me. God opposes that. He only gives the Ferrari, listen, to those who humble themselves. Say, God, I can't do this alone, which is why I'm so excited for groups because you have to find other people to ask, hey, would you pray for me? I want to share a story. Uh, when we launched this church in the fall of 2017, the, it was obvious the hand of God was on it. Well, we went from eight to 100 that first year. And by the second year, we went from 100 to 200. And in two short years, we saw something like 200 people receive Christ. It was crazy. And then at two years and four months old, COVID happened. And because I already shared that I'm ultra competitive, it was extremely hard for me, this performer, this type A person, to go do church online. And then after 60 weeks online, we had our first gathering in a parking lot at five o'clock in the middle of December. I think there was like 50 people. I'm like, oh, they're going to come back next month. And then we did another monthly service in January. And then we did it again in February. And it was obvious we were not the same church that we used to be. And by June of that year, 2021, depression really hit. And I remember sharing this with my team members. And what you guys don't know is Pastor Yaz and I, we would have this conversation like once a week. I think I should quit. Let's just give the church to someone else. Let's sell the house and move. Because I didn't want to do this anymore. And she was like, no, no. She's like, who called you to this? Did I call you to this? I'm like, no. Did Jesus call you to this? I'm like, yes. Well, until he calls you to quit, silencio Bruno, okay? Praise God for good wives who listen to Jesus. But the cloud didn't leave. And although I stopped talking about it with people, her and I didn't stop talking about it. And she would say things in love. I'm sick of this conversation. Go tell someone. Go talk about it with someone. And I'm just being honest. I'm a pastor. I'm like a professional Christian. It's hard to talk about I got problems when I'm trying to help everyone else. But I started to. Started talking to mentors, started talking to friends and pastors, just confessing, saying, I don't know if I can make it. Can I live off your faith? Can you speak hope into my heart for my church? Because I don't think I have it. God doesn't give grace to those who are proud, to those who don't ask for help. But that Ferrari, the car we don't deserve, he gives it to those who humble themselves. And as I began to humble myself, as I began to close my eyes and see what God saw, which I didn't see, he asked me to begin declaring over the church, even though we weren't there, that we were going to have two services. That we were one day we're going to have our own building. That one day we're going to grow again the way we used to be. That although what I'm seeing with my eyes is broken, is hard, there's going to be a day where we're not going to even have the resources and people for the flood of people that God's going to bring in. I wonder, I wonder what kind of fear you live with. I wonder what kind of shame you walk with. Wondering, man, I'm trying this Christianity thing and it ain't working. 
Oh, believe me, it works. God wants to give everyone in here, not just forgiveness, which is mercy. He wants to give you Ferrari grace. Every eye closed and every head bowed. God, I pray for every person in this room who can hear the sound of my voice. God, I know that there are people, God, that are struggling, struggling in their marriage, struggling in their career, struggling in their walk with you, God, struggling in their family dynamics, struggling with finances, and in their own strength, God, they don't have it, and they're freaking out. Show them, God, it's okay to be okay, not to be okay. It's okay that I don't have it all together. I don't have to have all the strength, all the answers, all the money, all the solutions. God, you are the solution. God, let's make this super practical. I pray, God, that they would ask for help this week in groups. They would say, I can't. Can someone pray for me? I need the grace of God. There are some of you in this room that your faith is on its last rope. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to say, Jesus, I believe, but I help me in my unbelief. God will hear that prayer and come, but you got to ask for it. There are some of you, your marriage is hurting. And you don't know if you can live with that person any longer. God wants to heal. He may not change your marriage. He wants to change you. He wants to empower you because the car you're riding in isn't good enough. So he wants to give you a new car. It's called a Ferrari of grace. I pray, Jesus, for every person in this room that can hear the sound of my voice, that maybe they saw sin as something small, something manageable, but God, it is devastating. It is bigger, more damaging than we could ever give it credit for. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a solution for, for sin. God, even though it's in me, and it's inherited from Adam. God, you gave me your spirit to empower me. Thank you, God, for grace that helps me live this righteous life, that teaches me how to say yes to you, Jesus, and no to my flesh. And God, even when I try to walk with you, I still have this proclivity to take good things, God, and make them God things. Show me, God, when there's something in my life that I love more than you. There's some of you in this room. This is a holy moment because you never realized how big, how wide, how devastating sin was. And sin can't be swept under the rug. It has to be dealt with. And the good news of Christianity is even though we all sin, God made him who knew no sin to become our sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. God offers you forgiveness. God offers you salvation. The work that you need to do is simply to believe. And with every eye closed and with every head bowed, I wanna ask you, do you wanna receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I wanna count to three. And I just want you to shoot up your hand because you've never prayed this prayer before and you want to begin a relationship with the living God. On the count of three, one, two, three. If that's you, just shoot your hand up. Amen, amen, amen. I see two hands. I want everyone to pray this prayer out loud with me. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven for me. You lived a sinless life perfect life, the life I didn't live, and then you died the death I should have died. Thank you, Jesus, that you offer me salvation for free. I repent, God. I have sin in my life, and I'm thankful that you handle it on the cross. I receive your righteousness by faith in Jesus name and everybody said come on can we stand up and give God some glory this morning one of the ways that God says that you identify with me is not just by going public with your faith in baptism which we are doing on the 26th of this month but it's communion and we do this very infrequently 
but I felt very led by the Lord to lead us in a moment of communion because we talked about sin for half an hour and I need to talk about the solution. That this bread represents the body of Jesus beaten and broken for us. And by faith, I want you to pull it out for those of you that are Christians and have placed your faith in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you're just having juice and cookies. But this is an act of faith for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, that this represents something spiritual, that his body was beaten and broken because of the problem, the origin, the root, the devastation of sin, and the judgment that was supposed to be on me went on him. God, we thank you, Lord, that you took that judgment upon yourself and your body was beaten on our behalf. Then this blood, this juice represents his blood. And Jesus didn't buy us with silver and gold and crypto and he bought us with his precious blood. And the price of something, I know Facebook market has things for a dollar and then you call them like, oh, it's $500. The price of something is determined by the what you're willing to pay. God the Father was willing to pay the most precious, the most priceless thing in heaven. He paid Jesus for you. That's how valuable you are. You're priceless in the eyes of the Father. And God didn't shed blood or crypto, he shed his blood for you. And this blood represents that his covenant, that neither death nor life nor angel or demon will ever separate you from the love of God. And we take it by faith that we are in a new covenant with Jesus. In a moment, Ethan's gonna lead us in a song. I wanna ask you to reflect on the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. That sin was great, but our God was greater, amen? Hey, thank you so much for listening today. If you found this message encouraging and inspiring, would you consider subscribing to this podcast? That way you won't miss the next word that God wants to speak to you. See you next time.